Greetings, building science enthusiasts, and welcome back to the Building Science Podcast. This week's episode has no sponsor message at all. Instead, I just wanted to take a minute and thank you, our listeners, for all you do to keep this show going. We've got some great episodes coming up on topics like perspectives from HVAC installers, indoor air quality, market change, enclosures, how codes affect building science, chemicals in homes, building materials, etc. And to help to keep the show going, I'd like to ask a small favor of you. There's actually a lot you can do to support us in very simple ways. You could share just a single episode with someone who might be interested. You could even share this episode. You can review the show on iTunes, Google, and Stitcher. You can visit our sponsors and their websites and let them know that we sent you there. And you can even encourage the manufacturers that you know to sponsor the show. We love doing this, and we plan on continuing to do it for as long as we possibly can, and as long as you keep showing up to listen. So thank you again. Please do the very small bit that you can to help us out. And we have an Instagram, too, if that's your thing. It's at BLDGScienceATX. So check us out and enjoy the rest of the episode. Welcome to this. Okay. Oh, welcome to the Building Science. To the Building Science Podcast. 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 Welcome to the Building Science Podcast. Bringing the human factor to architecture and design. Brought to you by Positive Energy in Austin, Texas. Hello and welcome back, everybody. Welcome back to the Building Science Podcast. I'm Christoph Irwin here, as always, with my trusty sidekick. hey That's Miguel Walker. Uh, I also have in the studio, I have Nacho Moreno. Hey, guys. And uh, he's with New Results, HVAC firm here in Austin, and he and I go way back. Uh, please introduce yourself briefly. Hey, guys. I'm Nacho with New Results, a local air conditioning company here in Austin. And we've evolved in the air conditioning technology with Christoph and Positive Energy. So, And then on the, on the line, we have Patrick Wilkes with Wilkes HVAC in San Antonio. Is that actually the name of your company? Uh, uh, the name of the company is Wilkes Air Conditioning uh, Wilkes out of air. San Antonio. And obviously, my name is Patrick. And uh, we've been in business here in, in town since 1974 and just have seen a huge shift from old style equipment and uh, new age technology. And we're excited to be on the cutting edge of that and here with you today. Context for this, you guys listening, is that separately, Nacho and Patrick, so Nacho and I and Patrick and I have had some really great conversations about the state of the industry, I guess you could almost say. The industry is really, so the HVAC industry, the, the industry that is basically responsible for installing the equipment and distribution systems in homes that deliver comfort and indoor air quality, right? So that industry is in the midst of a transition. And instead of me talking about it from the outside, I really appreciate when I hear like an insider's view. Nacho, I guess I'd like to start with you. When did you get started? How did you get started? Oh, new results. We started in 2002. Mm -hmm. So 16 years. 16 years ago. And of course, we did a lot of mostly, I mean, completely all unitary. We uh, we actually partnered together. And mm -hmm. Yeah. When, uh, when you were building back then. Yeah, Blue Heron Builders. Nacho yeah. was my air conditioner. That's how we met. And uh, yeah, about eight years ago, we started kind of getting more into the VRF and Mm -hmm. Inverter systems. You've been instrumental in, in pushing the VRF system. <laughs> yeah. Well, so I remember yeah. back been back then, it's like, have you heard about City Multi? I kind of put that in in my head, and and now it's ninety eight percent of our business. So. Wow. Yeah, we'll get into that. And and so Patrick, how about you? What's what's your background? How long have you been 
doing this? So our background as a company is we started in 1974. Father started the, the business and then I grew it from there. I started working with him as a teenager, putting in, you know, eight sear, 10 sear. Uh, I think 12 was a super high efficiency uh, <laughs> system at the time. Grew up just learning that beer can cold was enough and uh, ductwork was just something you put up with. And then eventually uh, through the years took over the business. And with the advent of high efficiency air conditioning, when X13 motors and ECM drives and things like that, you know, ductwork was always important, but became even more important. Mm-hmm. As we saw the efficiency creep up on uh, standard residential products, the the ductwork we we found we were having problems that we couldn't solve with Freon, mm-hmm. and so uh, through testing and education and learning about airflow and static pressure and system design and everything else, we were able to fix a lot of interesting problems that we came across. Uh, some we created and some others created. Well, how did that go within the company? I mean, so it sounds like somebody in the same company is saying, hey, this thing that we did wasn't right. Yeah. So the stuff that we did that wasn't right, we took care of, you know, do what's right for the customer and it'll, it'll treat you well. Mm-hmm. So things that I learned and we learned as a business that we were doing wrong, we corrected that led to referrals and, hey, my aunt has this problem or that problem. And, you know, we, we grew it from there. And it's the duct work and testing. We do we do a lot of duct blaster testing and blower door testing in-house for diagnosis purposes, not for code purposes. And that has become a big part of our business, which led us into more and more homes. And, and those homes started to have the VRF uh, equipment. Mainly, we see a lot of Mitsubishi in our area, some ducted, some not ducted. And then that led us to builders who use this stuff on a regular basis. And we were fixing several problems of old companies they used and they just started using us from the start then instead of having to worry about fixing it later. So what services do you offer? I mean, it sounds like residential new construction as well as service. Is that right? Yeah. We are, 90% of our business is residential retrofit. We do some of our work in light commercial, mainly RTUs, uh, mm-hmm. single, you know, uh, single story buildings, things like that. I think you should define RTU. Rooftop, uh, rooftop package unit. Uh, so everything's combined. It's just, you set a box on top and then there's ductwork that comes out of the bottom and, and, distributes through a little strip center or shopping center or whatever it might be. Okay. Well office said. building. Just want to get that clear. Sure. Sure. Uh, thank you for pointing that out. <laughs> <laughs> we do. And then we do some uh, new construction and remodel retrofit uh, things with through a couple of builders here in San Antonio. And that remodel work, is that down to the studs or different spaces? I mean, is it Substantial remodels, gut remodels. We're working on one now that they bulldozed the house and built new. Other ones they've gutted. Other ones are just an addition. So it, it runs the gamut from from everything from complete new through uh, basic room addition or uh, things like that. Just a, a reworking of the floor plan. Okay. And so Nacho, what about you? What are you guys doing? Pretty much now we're 90% the new construction and major remodel. Wow, 90% new construction. I've heard that's a challenging market to be in. It is. A lot of people uh, say the the money's on the service side. Uh And our business model's kind of taking us the other way. So we service what we sell. And I tried not to uh, service VRF systems that other people have installed Mm -hmm. just because of the complexity. So we'll help people here and there. But yeah. Yeah. And we'll, we'll talk about the complexity of the VRF. Thank you. 
Absolutely. VRF. So yeah, those of you listening, that one of the fundamental pivots in the industry that we're definitely going to be digging into is this standard unitary equipment that's been around forever or since the 50s, 60s, I guess 60s, 70s came to us. Um, interestingly on that, Nacho, I was just talking to a, a sale, a distributor yesterday and a client had a VRF system installed and they didn't want to use their installing contractor to do service for various reasons, probably not the greatest experience. And um, other installers, other, you know, uh, VRF firms are um, starting to say, no, thanks. I don't want to service it because I didn't install it. And I'm not sure, you know, if, if the right wire aug was used and if it was set up, you know, there's yeah. just, who knows what you're walking into. Yeah. And something that's, the lane has just run in the copper. If they didn't have it covered, or they didn't perch with nitrogen, it could cause problems. And these are very, very complex systems that you know, you're getting into a can of worms. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So have you ever serviced someone else's Patrick, <clears throat> someone else's VRF? We always service someone else's VRF. Uh, <laughs> All right. Be, be so, so, you know, send them our way, Nacho. Um, no, definitely. <laughs> and, and for that reason, and, and most of our, our clients have, have come through us through, hey, I need a repair. I need, you know, mm-hmm. I'm not happy with this. It's never worked right, you know, since it's been put in. Uh, I've put up with it for four, five, six, ten years. I'm tired of it. You know, I just want it fixed. That sort of thing. And I absolutely love the challenge of that. And it is very complex. And there's a lot of moving parts in terms of, like Nacho says, a great point, just something as simple, not purging nitrogen. Um, we go go through that quite often where we find screens are clogged or orifices are, are blocked because of debris in the lines that's probably one of the more common issues that we have um, yeah. so the initial installation was wrong from the start and it was it, it never had a chance mm-hmm. so we we absolutely love that i've got great minds uh in our technicians here and they they love a, a challenge and figuring it out and we'll we'll stay on something for a while to to get it licked mm-hmm. yeah i want to stay with this this theme so nacho do you also do and you can name names on this podcast you, you do mitsubishi you've done mitsubishi some uh carrier um, lg daikin have you done those we haven't done daikin but we're moving away from the lg and and you patrick mitsubishi and other brands or mainly we, we we've only installed mitsubishi we have worked on daikin and lg and Mitsubishi. So we've, we've worked on a few of them. I haven't come across any carrier product yet. We, we really, I'm very comfortable with the Mitsubishi product as far as installation setup, mm-hmm. the, the controls it has available. And, and I just, we've stuck with that because it's been reliable for us. Yeah. I want to stay with that and I'll stay with you for a minute, Patrick, the call a spade a spade. One of the things that's happening in our market is VRF is starting to take over. I mean, it's happening around the country. It's getting more and more installation, more and more bandwidth. And there's this perception rising now that Mitsubishi systems are inherently flaky, that their controls are flaky, that there's just something like, uh, I don't know, like, like gremlins in the machine that no one can understand. Is that your experience, Patrick? Um, That's not my experience at all. I think I think the lack of understanding is definitely out there all the way from from technical assistance down to the installers. And, and so it's really hard to get a handle on how to set it up, what this dip switch does, what does this mean? How does this actually translate into real life working conditions compared to what even technical training through Mitsubishi will tell you the way it's supposed to do? Oh, that's fascinating. (laughs) 
figuring out that that this dip switch setting doesn't quite function the way the book says it does is is instrumental we've spent a lot of time testing and and figuring it out on our own how it actually performs in real life and most of it is pretty accurate right i don't i don't want to paint with a broad brush some of the finer details don't mm-hmm. quite work out as well as as the printed instructions say yeah 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 well yeah printing extract instructions are like google translated and <laughs> yes and that's across the board i mean we've just seen it with with lg and there's quite a bit of with your point the settings that are not even in the io that uh that are just can you say what the io is just the in- installation and operation manual so like for example lg prf comes factory set to uh overheat up to seven degrees celsius which is like 10 degrees fahrenheit so coming uh you know you start up a system and in the winter you get a call that people are saying well my house is almost 80 degrees and my thermostat at 69. Whoa, well, what's going on? And yeah, it's kind of a hidden menu mm-hmm. that we've, you know, now we've known a lot of those hidden menus. Wow. So you guys have both the kind of, through the school of hard knocks and intelligence and exertion and perseverance, you've, you've both gotten to the point where you're comfortable installing these systems. Um, what was that like? I mean, either one of you, it's like, it's challenging. Can you help other people yeah. follow your path? I can see uh, somebody coming up to a VRF system, opening up the, the lid and just seeing those circuit boards and going like, what? Yeah. <laughs> How do you get past that? Well, we, we kind of just grew into them and taking any advantage of, you know, training that we can. And, and they're actually, once you know the systems, they're pretty easy to to uh, troubleshoot, but at first, if you're used to just a contactor or a defrost board, it, yeah, it could be challenging, overwhelming mm-hmm. for just a regular guy. To- yeah, Patrick, any thoughts on that? <clears throat> yeah, so our our first uh, really dive into VRF full force came through a home performance evaluation where you know they, they just had a lot of humidity. Some of their grills would just rain down every summer and a very very fancy home and we go into this guy's basement and there are 21 ducted high static mitsubishi air handlers with branch boxes and four condensers outside Uh, i have i had never seen even that in my life so you know sitting there looking at it and going through that's a deer in the headlights moment (laughs) (laughs) yeah and he was saying you know can you help you you all were recommended to us and you know can you help and Started looking at it, and at first, you know, your first reaction is, "No, I don't know anything about it." And then, and then, on second thought, you, you take a step back and look at it. Well, basic principles still apply, and refrigerant flows, and air flows, and you have static pressure, and you have controls, and so you take it piece by piece, and that really helped us uh, just get into it. And so you you know take it piece by piece and and you learn how the systems work and get some equipment with the Mitsubishi especially you know they have their uh, little computer aided thing that gives you a lot of the values for troubleshooting in terms mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. the MN sensors right maintenance yeah, tool the, the maintenance tool and that that's in, that was instrumental so once you dive into it just a little bit and understand that it's it's just an air conditioner and it it just ports refrigerant different ways at different times and in different amounts 
it's very simple to see what's going on. So what you're having implicit there is you're like taking a deep breath going, okay, what's going on here? Let me think about this. I can tell you that I have had installers, like angry installers on the phone saying, this is exactly why I don't like this cheap crap out of Asia, right? And I'll just be a little blunt about it. Usually it's people a little more advanced in their career. And I feel like what they're really saying is, I don't know this stuff. I don't understand it. Yeah, that's why I don't like it. Yeah, so you guys got past that somehow. And I, I'm really curious. I guess it's maybe just um, personality types. In our case, we, we like challenges. We like new technology. And we like to be in the cutting edge. So mm-hmm. That can help quite a bit. Yeah, definitely. I, I have a... Uh... I have a desire to fix things that nobody else can or has. And so that gets me into a lot of problematic situations where, you know, you've, you kind of put it out there and you you need to perform and, or or be embarrassed by it. And so I end up learning and and reading a lot and that's more of it than anything is just a desire to figure things out. And like Nacho said, enjoy the challenge and enjoy the technology behind it. It's, it's, it's what's coming in the future. So you might as well learn it now. Same as all the ECM technology motors, when those were coming mm-hmm. out, mm-hmm. all those are dumb. And, you know, you heard the same things, but now you can't hardly buy a standard unitary product without some sort of electronically controlled motor in it. Our, our unitary systems are inverter driven. So hmm. yeah, we're, we're doing Bosch inverter. So mm-hmm. that would be our unitary line. The, I think we've done two regular ECM systems this year. Wow. New. And what would they do? They were just re, 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 uh, retrofits. But, ah, they were retrofits. Okay. Yeah, but pretty much we uh, we stay with inverter. Because, you know, heat pump, these heat pumps, are, you know, the heating point down to 17 degrees is, for our area is perfect, right? So there's no, no need to do gas furnaces. Mm-hmm. And if we go with products like Mitsubishi's Hyperheat down to 5 degrees, yeah, and it's even better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so what, where I want to go, I want to go down into that a little bit um, later. Uh, the you know your installation process, and I want to talk about how you engage with your your clients, your builders, things like that. But there's one thing I want to kind of get out of the way, and it's it has to do with our culture right now, and um, it has to do with probably when you two or people from your firms walk in and you're first talking to clients, uh, particularly like in a retrofit situation or a, a repair situation. I know from talking to friends and family, you know, especially people that don't really know exactly you know, my role in the industry here and they're, they're irritated out kind of kind of outraged with their air conditioning installer. Actually with trades generally, it's interesting, like plumbers, electricians. And so you guys are walking into a situation where the, the client, the, the person that you're talking to probably doesn't know very much about what they're doing. They're, they're uncomfortable. Uh, I mean, thermally, <laughs> Uh, and psychologically, they don't feel because of that. They don't feel much control of the situation. They're probably um, irritated, curt. I, I don't know. Have you guys either either you had that experience where people you feel like are um, not being respectful of you? We haven't run into that, and I guess we project 
this excitement about the systems hmm. that the customers kind of absorb. Okay. Sort of like you when you're talking to you. So kind of this passion, right? Yeah, yeah. We don't do a lot of, and this is where Patrick might encounter that more often where there's problems since we do mostly new new construction mm-hmm. or big remodels. We just kind of introduce the these new systems, how they could perform better, how we can have different type of equipment go into different parts of the house, zoning and having so, uh, such a large menu of air handlers makes it so much easier for zoning. Okay. And, so, but you don't get that kind of like um, fix my problem for as cheap as possible and get I, out of here. That, as soon I as you think can. that's one of the reasons we've shied away from service. Ah, because uh, uh-huh. unrealistic expectations from the client. Correct, and just trying to, especially in something that's already been built with a really bad air duct system mm-hmm. that you can't really go in there and tear out on it. You know, if you got a two-story house with a single system zoned, uh, mm-hmm. they're just really bad practices, right? So what about you, Patrick? Do you have to teach like psychological durability or toughness to your people that are doing face-to-face with clients? So how do you handle that? Every day, uh, every, every single day. Yeah. If somebody's hot in their home and they call, they call your office from, from the moment you pick up the phone at the office, right? It's an experience for the customer. And they're either going to be delighted that the dispatcher was helpful and got them an appointment as soon as possible, or they're going to be put out and disgruntled because we can't see them until 6 p.m. instead of 3 p.m. or something like that. The technician arrives at the house and the customer's hot and everybody knows it's expensive and it's not always expensive, but that's the thought. But like you said, to your point is a lack of knowledge of the situation. And so what we have found that works really well is just educating the customer. We absolutely hmm. love customers to follow our technicians around. And, and that's something that every one of our techs are comfortable with and encourage because now hmm. we can show you what we see. We can show you your motor. We can show you your ductwork falling apart. We can show you a <laughs> capacitor. And this is what we're finding. And, and so it's very helpful to educate the customer about repairs. And if, if somebody is educated and, and can kind of halfway grasp what's happening, they can make a better decision for themselves and be more confident in the fact that what we're saying is true. And then we back it up with a hundred percent money back guarantee. If it doesn't fix your problem, you don't pay us. Well, you should be careful with that, Patrick. Uh, we've had uh, issues with, with people suing us for huh. having uh, being right, right behind our technicians when a uh, drain dog exploded. Uh, what exploded again? The drain dog is a uh, a drain dog. It, it's called. It's that's what it's called. But it's pretty much a balloon that you put in the drain line. So when you put nitrogen, ah, okay, it creates back pressure to right, blow right. out the drain line. Those are, of course, are rubber and so a tend, big rubber balloon. Exploded. It's it's a small rubber balloon, rubber but it it, I mean. it makes sounds sort of like a forty five. Of course, my guys didn't have any damage, mm-hmm. but the lady that was behind them got hearing loss. Of course, there's oh, a drum set in the garage. Yeah, air course. Yeah, there's a drum set in the garage, so who knows how long she's <laughs> rocking out. Anyhow, uh, so you got a lawsuit against you, and we, how does that impact you? I mean, it's stressful. It, it is stressful, sure. and of course, you know, once you get a lawsuit with a claim so large, the insurance company drops you. An insurance company that I've had since 2002, right? So wow. And then, and then you have more get, expensive with the next. Then one. you got to go find another one, and it's I think it's a seven year period where you, you go with that claim, so where they can take you back. 
and so the the stress of having to find another insurance that will take you with a pre, you know the claim and it's uh it's not fun and people don't realize that you know we have to have insurance in order to do what we do and right you know i've heard uh, one of our clients once say that you know you've really made it when you get your first lawsuit, so <laughs> wear it like a batch of water. Yeah, so, so, Patrick, um, with that caution in mind, I guess lawsuits are a part of life. For me, for me, they're uh, they're not common, right? But it's something. It's it's a cost of doing business. Uh, we've got several, you know, several trucks on the road all day. Last year, a, a guy gets into a fender bender. They literally had three hundred dollars worth of damage to the other person's car, and sued us for 150 grand oh um, you, you, you turn it over to your insurance and that's what insurance is for and to nacho's point yeah you do get dropped and it is stressful and it, and it takes a focus away from your business you know your your technicians are subpoenaed and questioned and everything else and it's it's no fun at all and now you pay higher liability insurance because of it um Ultimately, though, I, I hate I, I hate just changing the way we operate. If if what I believe we are doing is correct, then you know you can't you can't spoil the whole bunch for one bad apple, and mm-hmm. that's that's the way we view life here. And so, you know, most people are good, uh, most people are honest. And most people will treat you like you want to be treated. And so we treat others like, like we want to be treated. And what I want out of somebody coming into my home is to show me what's going on, educate me on my roof, my plumbing, my dryer, mm-hmm. wh- whatever it is they're fixing, my sheetrock or tile. Like show me and then provide me options and I can make a better decision. And so that's what we try to do is we show the customer what's happening. Um, now we don't let them stick their fingers in the, you know, uh, condenser fan motor to show them the compressor's hot or something silly, uh, or, or advise them not to, I guess it's their house. They can do what they want. Um, <laughs> but, but we like to educate and, and to me, that's what insurance is for. You have good relationships with insurance brokers. They deal with that. That's their job. And you say, Hey, Mr. Broker, this is what's going on. Here's my lawsuit. You guys handle it. And let me know what we need to sign to, you know, go on with life. Is there a monetary impact, like a deductible to be met, or? No, I didn't have any. Uh, no, there's no, there's no deductible on, on that sort of thing on the liability side. Okay. But what happens, like what Nacho said, is your rate, your rates go up, and so mm-hmm. next year you pay more for your insurance. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. You know, we can, we'll move on from this very soon here and talk about yeah. design, installation, and things like that. But you know, really, I, my heart goes out to what you guys do. It's so important. It's it's not easy. It it, it takes uh, grit. I mean, it takes working in uncomfortable thermal conditions, awkward, cramped spaces. Um, you know, wriggling under houses. You know, being like a monkey through attics sometimes, all while carrying tools and equipment. You know, and you're also slogging through like a societal quagmire where, you know, everyone in the world wants to just live in an ice Apple store and write apps or something. But we we have physical bodies. We live in physical structures and we have physical systems that that it's like you guys 
should be the unsung heroes, not unsung. You should be the sung heroes of our industry. <laughs> well, to that point, Christoph, it's funny you mentioned because when we're looking at a new project, the customer doesn't have any problem spending seventy thousand dollars in plumbing fixtures. You said seven or seventy. Seventy thousand. Seventy thousand in plumbing fixtures, huh? And uh, they'll buck for five thousand dollars extra in a dehumidifier, right? Because they don't see it. Because they don't see it. Yeah. <laughs> and. Uh, yeah, so it's... You ever have that happen, Patrick? I'm sorry. No, the priorities are kind of... Wacky. You know, but when the air conditioner goes out, then it doesn't matter if your fixtures are super pretty. You're, exactly you're right. suffering, right? So We suffer from visual focus. Patrick, any stories like that? The dehumidifier is first on the chop block for budget reasons uh, yeah. every time. And it's a struggle to keep it in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's where... We, in the retrofit market, we, we really get a, a lot of good interaction directly with the homeowner. And so you can show the homeowner directly. You're not talking through a builder or an architect or mm-hmm. an engineer. You're, you're able to talk directly with the homeowner, which is what I think you do a lot of, Christoph, if I'm not mistaken. Absolutely. At yeah. least pretty close anyway. Oh, and, yeah. You long so you can show interviews. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you can show that that value and why that is not the place to cut. Yeah. Uh, and and yeah, so yeah. a lot of times it'll work out, but it's always the first call. It's, mm-hmm. it's always, yeah, I think we're going to skip the dehumidifier. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is specifically that you, you brought up the good point. So it's, it's funny. Yeah. And yeah, really the, you guys are working hard and you know, all the things I just said about, you know, taking grit and, and a lot of intelligence and deep thought and emotional fortitude. And now the industry changes from standard, you know, 24 volt control unitary equipment to VRF, right? You know, microprocessor controlled. And it's kind of like as though it weren't challenging enough. (laughs) So I can see why it's daunting. Let's, let's start talking about the installation process, starting with the first step, which is you're talking with a client. Let's start with you, Nacho. Who are your clients? Are they are they homeowners? Are they builders? Probably about 80% are builders. Of course, we love working when uh, on a project that's got positive energy plans. Oh, well, thank you. And I did not pay him to say that. <laughs> no, but <it's laughs> Patrick, you've done one, I think, of our design. Or no, you haven't done one. I haven't done. I have. I have been invited to bid on one of your designs, mm-hmm. which was a very nice gesture between uh, the builder and you all. So, uh, but we did not get that one. You yeah, need so to get one. Every time I get an email containing a set of plants that's got a uh, positive energy set, is it's so joyful because <laughs> I know that everything's been already uh, addressed. All right, all right, enough. Uh, but anyway, so <laughs> if we go through a uh, regular process for where there's not a mm-hmm. positive energy uh, right. set, we we like to talk to the architect and see, look at the plans, mm-hmm. see where we can place equipment. That's when, always, when are they talking to you? Early on? Once I, you know, first thing is I, I'll send them a, a, a bid. So you see a floor plan already? I see done. a floor plan. Mm-hmm. They approve it. Then we'll sit down with the architect and actually mm-hmm. see where we can set the equipment. We'd like to try to get structural already in the line mm-hmm. so that we can uh, figure out our 
trunk lines, mm-hmm. lockouts for trunk mm-hmm. lines. So if there's any issues with LDLs or, or anything where the structural is going to interfere with them. And even mundane things like can lights right on in the blockout. Oh, yeah. Things that you have to kind of look out mm-hmm. from the get-go. So then they go ahead and order trusses, and then we go in. And what about you, Patrick? Right. So 90% of our, our business is direct with Customer, uh, homeowners, and then we go go from there to talk to any architects or builders they might have. And so, a lot of times, it's existing homes. You have to you have to deal with what you have and what's available, and make things work that you know aren't necessarily ideal in terms of where you're going to place ducts and, mm-hmm. and registers and diffusers mm-hmm. and everything. I would say on the on the new equipment on the on the new construction or, or highly remodeled side. A lot of times we're dealing directly with the homeowner who is working with a builder slash architect. I would say very, you know, maybe two jobs a year we work with a builder through an architect, you know, directly in the design phase of, mm-hmm. of the house. But most of our stuff happens, the house is built. Okay, now we need air conditioning. Oops, we forgot about that. Hey, I know these guys and they call us and what do you think? And so sometimes they end up remodeling for us a little bit. And other times they say, this is what you've got. And yeah. and even more times we'll, we'll end up walking away from a job because it's not going wow. to be right. And it's not going to provide what the customer wants. And, and without a little give and take from both sides, like, you know, we're the ones that are going to get called saying they're not comfortable when it's 103 degrees or even 80 degrees and 100% humidity. You know, that's that's even worse. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that's happened to us, too, where we come into a job that's already being framed. We've had to walk out. There's no compromise with the architect. They want to dictate what you're going to install and how you can yep. run the dogs, and that, that doesn't work. One of the things that we're doing is we're shifting when the, the, the mechanical system integration occurs earlier and earlier in the process. And we have had, we've been saying for a long time, and now we've had several really leading leading architects in our region. And I've said to them, <clears throat> I realize you, it's hard for you to get the budget to bring us in during massing. So the first thing architects do is what's called programming. And then it goes into schematic design, design development, and construction documents. But they do this thing, massing, orientation, and aperture. Those are like the first three. And we say, hey, when you're doing massing, please let us, give us a call. We'll do massing. Even if it's like just we'll have a coffee together and it's like an unofficial thing. But that can streamline so much, meaning like, okay, you got this giant living room here. Let's make sure this wall is fatter, that we're going to have a high sidewall diffuser aimed at it. or, you know, And it's so important that this happen. This is in the, like the custom home residential architect world. This needs to happen early because at some point the client's going to have what we call the swoon moment. And at that point, the design is not as easy, not as fluid. In fact, we just had one yesterday where, day before yesterday, we were in San Antonio, and they showed a mechanic, they should have a master bathroom, a little mechanical closet, and a little uh, water closet. And we just said to them, hey, could you just switch the location of the mechanical closet and the water closet so that our mechanical closet is not on an outside wall where the roof is pinching it and where we can get to the hallway on the other side to put our return? And they were like, oh, sure. Boom, done, you know? Well, if it's on the field and they've already got that, you know, waistline yeah, you plumbed in, you can't do that. And then also <laughs> with the structural engineers, you know, it's it's been so rewarding and I'll confess a little bit surprising to say, hey, could you? And they say yes. Or even with the trust shop, you know, after structure, like, hey, we need these trust spacings. 
you got a truss that is smack in the middle of our mechanical closet, and that's going to interfere with upflow. Is there a way we can have a leave out or just adjust the truss spacing? Oh, sure. Yeah, and it's so much easier to get that done. And I think you've done a great job of yeah. putting that out with the architects, because even if there's jobs that can't afford or, or – Yeah, and there are jobs that can't afford us. We should talk about costs for you guys too. But they already have that in their mind, and when you come and approach them yeah. on a pre-construction meeting – yeah. It's really easy to get those changes. Yeah. yeah, architects are hardworking. They care deeply about their projects. And when you tell them the truth, which is that, like, you're bringing this thing to life, and if you leave out room for the lungs, then, you know, what are you really bringing to life here? It's just an art project, or is it functional? And I have a good, good analogy. You know, you have a prime air conditioning system with really bad duct design. It's like, you know, having a Ferrari with flat tires. Yep, there you go. You can't really Yeah, and, and you can put a great engine in it later and the tires are still flat. You yeah. only get one chance. Well said. So let, let's talk about cost. Um, so, you know, neither one of you, I think, are the, the least expensive option. And yet cost always matters. So let's say you're, you're talking to builders. You're both talking to builders and... I guess let's make it specific to VRF if you guys think it's okay. And you can take the cost question a little liberally, but do you advocate for VRF? Does that cost more? I always advocate for VRF. Uh, huh. It does cost more, quite a bit more. And if budget restricts it, then we'll go into a inverter system. Mm -hmm. So unitary with an inverter Correct. compressor. Uh -huh. And sometimes it, it makes sense to go VRF because if you have three unitaries, two inverters, the price could almost be VRF, so mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it just depends. And then the, there's there's a cost of running extra electrical for heat strips and larger, you know, mm -hmm. wiring that at the end of the day make makes sense to go VRF. Right. And what about gas furnaces? Are, are clients still wanting them? Are you still advocating? People, clients are still wanting them, and what we'll do is we'll do a dual fuel heat pump. Mm, okay. With an inverter-driven VRF, and it comes. I've, I had a uh, a chart somewhere where there's a breaking point where heat pump, and you might know this, mm -hmm. is more efficient than gas until you get to a certain climate. Climate, climate right? Mm -hmm. So, VRF is definitely more expensive, not only for equipment-wise, but it, it takes a little longer to install. You have to be more thoughtful while you're installing. You know, it takes more copper to run to different air handlers a little more thought in the layout and design of, of the house new construction wise you know it's a lot that goes into it you can't necessarily just stick an air handler anywhere then you've got a pipe to it and you've got to worry about condensate drains and things like that but for us ultimately our, our selling point is is comfort and control mm -hmm. and for a lot of the larger houses we get into on the custom side six seven thousand square feet they're building super tight enclosures and you're going to put a 14 sear single speed heat pump in, you know, you've got a lot of ductwork running that's not necessarily going to be easy to, to do, and you're not going to be as happy with the outcome of it. Mm -hmm. So to be able to divide that house up into multiple little sections and systems is, is really nice with the VRF equipment. And I think the comfort and control, uh, mainly control is, is people's 
it opens people's eye. And you mean zoning, I guess, specifically when you say control. Right? right, with the zoning, right, with the zoning part of refrigerant-based zoning versus airflow zoning is is the key. Mm-hmm. It's it's much more difficult to to locate and install in different things, but the the comfort and the reliability and and control that you have as a result of that really makes the difference and it makes it easy to to show the customer. Um personally building a home right now and it's it's not incredible or anything but it, it's 3,000 square feet single story big attic space a unitary with ducted zoning would have fit wonderfully in there and we would have used an inverter style compressor outside with a heat pump but to Nacho's point I would have had to run a 100 amp to my electric heat strip uh, in the attic and so now I have a, a Mitsubishi S series with three indoor units that are ducted indoor units but I've got my kids' rooms on one air handler, my my ma- our master suite on one air handler, and the main living area on one. And I can control them completely independent of one another, not have to worry about an oil return during a zoning application where it's going to open up all zones. Hmm. Or I have to worry about the fan can only run at such a speed to worry about zoning and bypass and everything else. So it's it's... It's definitely worth it, but it did cost us extra even, you know, to get it at my cost and the time it takes to put it in. Uh, it, it is extra, but to me, it's it's worth it. So I could have co- cost of equipment. Let's just say I, I could have gotten the inverter with zoning for five thousand dollars for the for the equipment. And that's, you know, a sweet personal use deal. It cost me an extra two thousand dollars for the equipment and copper and controls that I needed. And that's just for the boxes. That's not the labor. That's just for the boxes, not for not for duct. You know, duct works about the same because you're, you're still running duct work to each bedroom. You do have a few more plenums to make, but that's not an incredible cost. Uh, but yeah, just the boxes were were about two thousand dollars more in, in my rather small project from what we usually get into on that. Yeah, so that's kind of our, our approach when we come to a customer with VRFs. Okay, and we, we try to do the same uh, master suite on its own air handler, kids or guest rooms on one, and then the core, what I call the core of the house, which would be your living room, kitchen, dining room. If they have a casita or a mm-hmm. studio, yeah, yeah. then that, that could have either a uh, cassette or a garage can have a garage. And we, we sell a lot of garage units. <laughs> You know, at the point that we're doing the roughing, running an extra set of copper lines to a garage is not that much. Mm-hmm. And they can, you know, easily add a, a duct, ductless unit in the garage. Yeah. So that, that's kind of been a, an upsell for us. Mm-hmm. If there's enough capacity in the condenser. Yeah. If, you know, sometimes the condensers are a little oversized. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. Says so you were bringing up um, that it's, it costs more and it takes more thought. And it's interesting to kind of flip it around and think, so basically uh, cheap, thoughtless installations are easier to sell in some ways. (laughs) (laughs) The Building Science Podcast is recorded in front of a live studio audience in Austin, Texas. Yeah, like that's why we have so many on-demand water heaters because you you don't have to, they're not cheap, but you don't have to think about where they go. But so how do your clients evaluate quality? You said, Patrick, control, comfort and control. That and and also the, you know, that, that analogy you had about the car on the highway, you know, 
the exhaust. I mean, the uh, no accelerator. Yeah, the accelerator. And they're just showing them that some of these systems will start out, you know, when they first come on at half an amp mm-hmm. and ramp up. It doesn't go full force unless you really have the load. Yeah, yeah. And so trying to explain that energy savings. And we've actually bought a uh, kilowatt meter. Mm-hmm to put in some of our installs and show the customer, okay, well, your, your air conditioning system actually used $60 worth yeah, they, of your $400 electric bill. Now your air conditioner is not your, your biggest. Yeah, we've been there so much, you guys. Where, you know, clients, The clients that do these high-end custom homes with the VRF systems, they're, one of the things, and I really laud them for it, is that they're, they're sensitive to energy use. And then they sometimes say, hey, you, you know, what is this? You told me that we're going to have low energy use. And I have a high energy bill and you know, I can say, well, you have a swimming pool because that's, <laughs> that's usually it. But uh, I could tell you for here at the office, we have circuit level energy monitoring and I also have it at my house and my house is a three ton here at the office is a two ton. I'm pulling like five, four or five amps. So thousand, 1200 Watts over here at, you know, in the enclosure, it's really just a suggestion here. And over at my house, I'm pulling 35 amps at the same time. Yeah, so there's a large difference. <laughs> yeah, so I think like on the Bosch VR uh, inverter, which is kind of a unitary, the system will, clo- a five-ton unit will clock out at 13 amps. Wow. That's already considered over-amping for the system. That's the max it'll ever Yeah, and it's like eight and a half for three-ton. Yeah, so Nacho actually installed that exact unit at my house, and it's made a world of difference on our electric bill because that was our highest usage every year. Yeah. And this summer especially now that we've had a couple of months to look at the hot period it's so much lower than it used to be yeah it's really glad to hear that (laughs) what do you think patrick are are you you able to sell energy or are you seeing energy savings Uh, it's not something it's it's not something that we focus on for me the energy savings is is in terms of existing homes you know if, if you go into an existing home with a four ton air conditioner on 2000 square feet and their utility bill is $200 a month you know 60% of that might be your air conditioner and so now you're dealing with $100 a month if you drop if you drop their bill by half on their air conditioner you're not really saving you know it's fi- it's $50 a month you're not going to pay for the added cost of the VRF or even a high efficiency inverter uh, system for that that's a really good and so we we and so we do focus and, and you, you know you do see some savings and it's yeah, good you and you know year. i'll take 50 bucks a month year. yeah <laughs> right um so in terms of selling energy savings is that's something that we as a company have gotten away mm-hmm. from uh, is we don't focus on that the bosch system is an incredible unit we, we've installed a number of them uh, i like it and and they run well and they're, they're a great inverter system to, to have in the unitary market. Um, you know, but they, I think, I think the bigger selling point is, is comfort and the analogy, like Nacho said, and I guess you had it too, is the car going down the highway, but that goes back to education and educating the customer across the table and saying, look, Acom Manual J design conditions for san antonio i believe is you know 97 outside and 78 inside that's that's one percent of the time that you actually need cooling Mm -hmm. and now you've got a system that's designed for that and generally it's by default 10 percent oversized anyway 
um, you know, you, you just don't need that capacity almost ever. And that leads to less, less quality of, of comfort in the house, uh, slightly higher energy bills if you have a single speed unit, but, but more so is comfort. If you can run at exactly what you need, you're, you're removing moisture at a better clip and you're more comfortable throughout the house and on and on. There's a lot of benefits to focus on. Um, energy is one of them, but it's not our main selling point at, at our office. Just minor comment there that, you know, VRF has a different moisture control dynamic. It does have longer run times. It doesn't obviate, I just want to make sure I get this out, the need for dedicated drying function, um, although it can have an impact on that. You know, the, I guess it's interesting. So we've, we've covered VRF and it does have more of a cost and it has a learning curve for you guys. It is now, in my opinion, starting to be recognized by, you know, leading builders, leading architects as, yeah, yeah, I should do VRF. It's, it's like a misalignment. Um, I mean, it always gets me when I go on the AIA home store and I see this beautiful house and then I open the mechanical closet, which I'm not technically supposed to do. And it's like, oh my gosh, I see this system that could be in, you know, any production builder's home and I see flex duct and duct board and I can take a flashlight in the filter slot and see that it shines out the back into the back of the mechanical closet that it's in. You know, it's just like, because it was out of sight, it was out of mind and it budget anyway but that's going away i'm happy to say you know frankly i you i hear what i love to hear is that you guys aren't really trying to compete you're trying to offer really high quality systems really good value and a lot of skill but the reality is you're competing in, in some level for price and so to go away from ductboard and flex distribution to metal plenums that's another big transition and you know, I kind of know where you guys both are on it, and you're you're looking looking at square in the eye. And where are you at with it? Please tell us. So we, uh, when we present the a budget for a customer, the first thing that they always cut is the metal duct. After the dehu, they cut. The After metal the dehu, because that, that's where <laughs> the big the big uh, price increase is. Of course, you know, metal duct's not as easy to work. With. No. And uh, we've tried other options of. Trying to get less mm. friction as far as like sealing our duct plenums on the inside. Yeah, I saw you did a spray and air barrier uh, inside the plenum. And that's still time consuming and increases. You haven't the done price. it on all your jobs. We haven't done it on all, all our mm. jobs. So now it's it's come down to budget and preference. We don't mind doing metal duct. We probably prefer to do metal one, mm -hmm. but sometimes the uh, the price doesn't right. okay. get us quite there. That's well said. Though there is a market norm, yeah. And what about you, Patrick? So in, in our market, we we are probably ninety eight percent duckboard and flex. Uh, even on on higher end custom homes, a little bit to budget and a little bit to you know trying to get things where the, they want to go, I suppose to that regard. But um, it, it it goes back to design ultimately, and and what what I what I have been thinking a lot about is is that plumbers used to use copper pipe and they had to plan out their systems that branches had to come off X, Y, and Z areas. They needed to have straight runs and they needed to be nice and clean with their work. And then along came PEX and they snake it everywhere. And it's like a spider's nest up there. And I think that's what duckboard, I think that's what flex flex allowed air conditioning companies to be sloppy with their design. And it allowed them to be sloppy with their installation to the point that everybody blames the flex duct for poor performance. 
I, I believe that if you design the flex properly and you install it as it's supposed to be installed, mm -hmm. you run it tight, you don't curl it around the beam three times before you hit your box, then, then it can perform maybe not quite as efficiently, but it can perform to provide a lot of comfort for your house and it is less expensive to, mm -hmm. to install. Mm -hmm. Still takes thoughtful planning and thoughtful installation. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And so my, the only nuance I would make on that, and, and keep in mind, I've been just soaking for three, four years now in IAQ stuff. And it's the supply. Yeah. Bottom. It's the, it's the first, let's say 10 feet off of the air handler where you really have a lot of moisture vapor. If you have porous materials over, you know, over the five, seven, 10, 15 year time, who knows? But uh, I also have seen I mean, I've seen some old flex duct, no, me, I've seen some old duckboard plenums. In fact, I think not sure you've dropped some off that were, you know, we've talked about it before. They were almost like gratuitously gross. It's like, oh my God, what happened? Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and I've seen some that come out okay. I just happened to look in mine. We installed a dehumidifier in my house last year, cut a big hole in the side of my supply plenum. And my whole supply plenum has this kind of like Gaussian curve shape mold pattern on the top and the bottom. Mm -hmm. So you can just see it. Here's where the humid air was blowing out and you know spittling into my supply plenum and here's where my mold grows so is some of that mold growth due to air leakage at connections of your of your plenum and uh seeping through your your fibers duckboard that wasn't sealed very well it could be yeah because the the back side you know, you know how it is so my home yeah. i built my home but i did not install the mechanical or tell them to put it any particular place but it was tucked over really close to the eaves of the roof such that getting to that little triangle at the back was basically impo impossible. And so there's some mastic on the inside of my plenum chassis connection, which, you know, that's mm. not the air control layer or barrier. No, definitely not. Okay, but, but I, I want to just qualify. So I, I, I agree that flex duct and duckboard used wisely, used thoughtfully, it, it, it can be fine. You have to pull the flex tight. And it also is true what you said, Patrick, that it, it can lead to sloppiness, it can lead to laziness, and we see a lot of that. Do you guys subcontract your air distribution systems? No. Do you, Patrick? No. Many of the no. big players do. Um, and not only do they subcontract, they subcontract to a you know an ever-changing pool of people with, I'm trying to be gentle, as you can hear, like questionable skills in terms of evaluating duct diameters and register location. We see them at the supply house in the mornings and they, they look funny because it's like almost like an Indian uh, train where there's just a pickup truck with 10 feet high of duct, flex duct. Yeah. Hiding <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and they're, yeah, they're exploited just flat out. They're probably being exploited. Yeah. They're, yeah, they're getting, I'm thinking like, Three or four hundred dollars per house to mm -hmm. to run flex, and where it takes my team a house that these guys knock out in the day it takes my guys three to four days. Yeah, because we take the time. That's good to hear, Nacho. Yeah, because I was recently told I was crazy for taking four days on a certain size house, so I'm happy to hear you say that. Yeah. So since when is well, actually, <laughs> since when is speed the ultimate quality? But Schedule and budget are king in some ways. Yeah, and it, it takes my, yeah. I mean, it takes us a lot more than than five hundred dollars to get to a rough end state. It, yeah, it, which and, is, but the big yeah. firms around here, the dominant firms, the ones on the radio with trucks <clears throat> all over the road, that's their business model. And then they have a team of guys that just goes behind and fixes triage. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, and they have huge. Uh, what do they call them? 
you know, the, the real big team of truly skilled people are not just on the air distribution side, but after the installation occurs, they wait for the clients to call and then they send these really skilled people to fix things. Exactly. So it's kind of the, the wrong way to do it. <laughs> yeah. Let's just see if it works and Let's we, see if we get a call back. And yeah. So Nacho, Patrick talked about his house and I think that's a very interesting metric is like, what would an installer do for his own house? And, that's I know you've been thinking about it. I remember my, my wife threw me a uh, surprise party when I turned 40 and Christoph came to the house. And the first thing he did is went around the corner and see what kind of system <laughs> I had. <in> my <laughs> of course, I didn't build that house. So I, I yeah, had you got a pass. But, but you're uh, building a house. We're, right? we're building a house right now. And so I consulted with, with Christoph and his friend. And as far as my, you know, wall systems you got an interesting enclosure we got a really interesting enclosure i was able to do shipping containers right yeah they're shipping containers skinned with stucco i mean we got exterior insulation so it's a, it's a really challenging uh construction. What about mechanical? Yeah, yeah. mechanical we've we've actually got almost five fifteen hundred square feet per ton that's what we should awesome. for yeah we talk about that and which what kind of and we're doing carrier heat recovery oh sweet the new single phase. the new single phase heat recovery so it's a six ton it's a little oversized because it came out to four tons. Uh-huh. And yes, it's only available in six. It, but it's only oh, available in six. So we'll have a little room to put in a uh, like mini split in the garage type mm-hmm. of deal. Patrick, are you seeing that single-phase heat recovery? Is that exciting to you? Or? That is very exciting to me and very attractive. Uh, I haven't seen any of it. Uh-huh. Obviously, like I said, we have only installed Mitsubishi and I think we spoke a while back and you had mentioned Carrier came out with it. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'd imagine it won't be long before everybody else kind of follows suit. The only challenge with uh, that system is the size of the condenser and it's almost 800 pounds. Whoa, 800 pounds. So it's oh, not something wow. that you can just uh, haul around the house. Not with that attitude. No, exactly. <laughs> well, you, 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 need a, you need a few really strong guys in the 800, 800 pounds. Yeah, and it's big. It's big in boxes. It's, it's kind of like a big, tall, like a big refrigerator too. almost. The side yeah, like of a refrigerator. Uh-huh. But that weighs 800 pounds. So some some if you're on the side of a hill, it would be crane. And that's it is more of a commercial. Form. So, yeah, you have to make, kind of look out for that. Mm-hmm. But as far as being able to not have to worry about all the units being in the same mode at the same time, it's mm-hmm. it's amazing, right? So, yeah. And that's one of yeah. the challenges with VRF. I'm sure you've run across, Patrick, where, well, my air conditioner is not working. And you know, so one of the rooms is still calling for heat in there. I recently drove an hour and a half for a, 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 an M-Series with a dual head, and that was his problem. Uh, he had the, the master unit on heat and the other one on cool, and it wasn't cooling. So um, anyway, the guy felt awful. So as far as this this choice between unitary and VRF, you guys are both solidly in, into the VRF camp. Right? Totally. Yeah. yeah, we drank the cooling. With, with all of our new construction, I, I am definitely in the VRF camp. Retrofit, it's a little harder to start to cut that into a house, but yes. Um, uh-huh, but it's it's starting. It's got inroads. It's really yeah, just the price, or is it – What? why would it be harder in a retrofit? I mean, refrigerant line size uh, compatibility or – You've got refrigerant lines that are generally concealed in a wall and people are less likely to let you run something on the exterior of their home. Mm -hmm. You do have a a pretty drastic price difference when they have an existing air distribution system that they're going to keep and don't want to modify heavily to accommodate two air handlers or three or something to that effect. And and then the electrical wiring sometimes doesn't quite 
lineup. I know we can do the VRF with you know a single zone inside, like with the Mitsubishi. Especially now they have their their normal looking air handler, and we've done a few of those. We get into that, and then it's more just line set compatibility, and people not looking at the way that it runs. You know, the fan runs constantly versus. Uh, cycling like on a, a inverter system or something mm-hmm. that effect. which can be sold as a benefit too. it can be sold as a benefit absolutely mm-hmm. okay so i'm gonna have I, have I have a last question for you guys and i'm gonna try to set it up uh like thinking big picture you guys are in the comfort delivery business you guys both know i know from talking to you and you you were at the humid climate conference both of you which, which is amazing by the way that there was also another firm indoor weather professionals from austin so you had you know here you are getting advanced training, you know, going out to conferences. I think that's great. So big picture, you're in the comfort business. And where I'm getting at is the health business or the impact on indoor health conditions, right? You can't really control a person's health, but you can control the conditions inside. And that's that's the enclosure, which you don't really get to control. That's the that's impacted. The health is impacted by the choice of indoor emitters, you know, whether it's cooking or their flame retardants in their couch or the vinyl flooring you don't get to control that but then you can control the choice of the equipment for space temperature and then there's the big three what we call the big three it's like particulate capture or filtration which is one of the reasons of vrf you know if it's constantly filtering dehumidification which you know it's as simple as saying to a client like well every major study for the last 20 years shows that if there's one thing that correlates with uh indoor health, it's controlling dampness. Um, And so it's filtering, drying, and ventilating. So that's that's the background. Now I'm going to ask you, um, what's your vision of the future of residential HVAC? Like, where is the industry going? Well, definitely uh, inverter, VRF tone. Uh, I'm a big fan of ductless units. So talking about indoor air quality, I think ductless would be the so a ductless plus like an erv or something ductless plus an erv or ductless plus a uh, ventilating ventilating dehumidifier where we've got a couple of a few projects where we've actually torn out ducted units and installed ductless that's exciting we got a project coming up where we're doing the new mlc's which are the one wick sets which i think that those are going to be super cool Mm -hmm. Uh, because there's a big pushback especially with architects and Mm -hmm. not wanting things on their wall but they're they're just most more efficient right and they perform better and i'm sure you agree that they're better for oh there's really allergies in in their air quality so i'm I'm hoping that that's the way it goes and the industry goes that route and what about you patrick any i know it's putting you on the spot but what's what's your vision of the future of residential HVAC. When you retire, what's it going to be like? <laughs> or you're retiring soon. <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe, maybe next week if it works out right. Um, <laughs> no, uh, I, yeah, I think VRF is definitely the way of the future. There is a battle between the ducted versus ductless market yeah. from what yes. I see. And to Nacho's point, is very few people in our area like to see it on the mm-hmm. wall. Or, or even in the ceiling. We've done a handful of projects this year with cassettes, and those make it a lot easier. I am excited about the one-way cassettes that, that are out there. So those make it a little less uh, of, a, of an eyesore. Our market really is, is, a, is a lot of ducted equipment still. But what I see changing more than anything is the enclosure more and more people are bringing the ductwork and equipment in the conditioned space by the use of spray foam. And I think that's a good thing, whether you, you like foam or not. I think bringing the ductwork and equipment into the conditioned space mm-hmm. is the key. Yeah, yeah. 
if you're going to have ducted, if you're going to have ducted, it better be in the condition space. And I, I see that more than I do the ductless systems uh, out there on the market mm-hmm. today. And, and I think I think that's that's the key. Whether you do ductless or ducted, just make sure it's in the condition space. Yeah, well said. You know, and I'll just elaborate on that, and then we'll wrap up. Is that um, ACA now has a new manual coming out? Low load homes, ACA LLH instead of manual J, and this is for homes that are 1,500 square feet per ton and above. And we're doing some passive house designs right now where it's coming out 2,300, 2,700 square feet per ton. So when you get to that level, it's interesting. It cuts both ways because in one sense, the enclosure is so robust that the thermal comfort is, is mediated by that enclosure to a large degree. And things like register location and throw and mixing are less important. But at the same time, you guys are, are given far, far fewer CFM, cubic feet per minute of air, per square foot of house to work with. So you got to be on your game with the distribution system. So it's interesting. And what I mean by that is that as we as a society take homes the way like the iPhone has taken phones or maybe Tesla has taken cars or something, it's going to get more complicated. It's going to change the nature of uh, the industry, which is ultimately a good thing, but not an easy thing. Any final thoughts, gentlemen, either one of you? I'm just excited for for the, the future of that, like you were saying, with the VRF and everything that's involved. And it's exciting to learn and, and grow into new areas of, of our work. And it's constantly changing. Mm-hmm. And I hope it doesn't I hope it doesn't stay the same and and continues to evolve and continue to improve mm-hmm. just looking back from where we were when i started putting in tin sear with a gas furnace and a coil you can see through basically yeah. on the evaporator coils uh it's amazing what what comfort is today versus what people thought it was 20 years ago mm-hmm. how about you not journey i'm all so excited about the technology that's coming out Patrick was saying now we got a carrier 43 sear ductless. 43 sear. 43 sear ductless. <laughs> there's talks about building dehumidification in mm-hmm. the air handlers. Mm-hmm. So now there's not a separate yeah. piece of equipment. That 43 sear, by the way, it's, it's got a dehumidif- true dehumidification feature on it. Yeah, I've heard about that. That's so, really exciting. Yeah, some, some exciting things coming up. And just kind of staying on top of the technology and what equipment's coming out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you guys are both phenomenally well poised in the sense that you already understand technology so new technology is just the same you know information stream just you're ready to embrace it and what you have is you have business systems and business procedures and ethics and the integrity to to stay ahead you know i'm I'm excited for you guys thank you i really am so patrick not sure thank you very much for taking the time and thank you all for listening we'll talk to you next time thank you you. well done you guys thanks yeah Science Podcast is a production of Positive Energy in Austin, Texas, an engineering firm dedicated to the idea that if we can design around people, a good building will follow. This episode was brought to you by the dedicated women and men who work day in and day out to change the industry one project at a time. If you find these episodes meaningful, please share it with someone you know who might like it. You can also donate a small amount to help us keep the show going at our website, positiveenergy.pro, and please get in touch with the sponsors of our episodes and tell them you like hearing their name on the show. Big thanks to Patrick and Nacho for sharing their thoughts. This episode was produced by Christoph Irwin and Michael Walker and supervised by a pack of dogs by the names of Jesse, Luna, Bear, and any other neighborhood mutt who just shows up to the office wanting treats. 
y'all come back now, you hear?